grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 17. I want to take a, a look at just a couple of verses in Acts chapter 17, uh, uh, talk about the founding of a, a brand new church there. And uh, like last Sunday, we're not so much going to study these particular verses as we are going to use them as a springboard to talk about the church. And so uh, look with me, Acts chapter 17, just verses 11 and 12, says this. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Father God, we're just, uh, again, grateful for this opportunity to come together openly, publicly like this, to worship you, to fellowship together, and to uh, be able to uh, hear from you through your word. God, we just pray that um, the meditations of my heart, words of my mouth, would be acceptable to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday we began answering a whole bunch of uh, questions that I had received during the sermons by request uh, thing that we did this uh, past uh, fall and summer uh, about why we do what we do as a church. And, and in particular, uh, people were wondering about some of the things that were different uh, uh, about us here at Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church as opposed to maybe some of the churches they had attended in their past. Uh, some of you may have come from a more liturgical church that places a greater emphasis on uh, certain formalities and rituals uh, that are done each and every Sunday. Others uh, might have come from a, a church that's similar to ours, and yet they, they uh, ran the service somewhat different, included different elements or different frequencies in the way they did things, that type of thing. And of course, uh, with some of you, uh, there's, there's obviously great similarities between churches as well, but you're just wondering, well, why, why do we do what we do? Maybe some of you hadn't even really been a churchgoer prior to this, and, and you're just wondering, why, well, why do we do the things we do at church? And if you want to be a biblical church, if we want to be a biblical church, that means basing what we do on Scripture. And, and this whole idea of of building what we do along with what we believe and what we practice uh, upon the Bible, well, that in and of itself is different than the approach that many churches are taking nowadays. Uh, unfortunately, some churches and, and even whole denominations are, are building what they do based more on popular opinion and culture rather than God's Word. There are churches that base much of what they do on tradition or that's how we've always done it as opposed to necessarily taking a look at what does the Bible actually say or how does it direct. For us here, this, this body of believers, we have determined that the Bible is going to be the foundation of everything we do. And, and that's why you see uh, such a... a emphasis placed on it here and that's that's why it's written into our our core values over there under i right inspired by biblical truth meaning uh that 
just a fancy way of saying that what we do, we want that to be determined and based upon what Scriptures says. And, and that's why we put a, a big emphasis on Bible teaching here, not, not only from the pulpit, but from the little children on up uh, through various avenues, uh, uh, Sunday school and, and uh, children's church and, and VBS, uh, on up through the adults. We, we figured if we want to be centered, what we do to be centered on Scripture, well, then we better make sure we know what the Bible actually teaches. Because there's a lot of things that happen in church that people think must be from the Bible, but they're really not. They're just something that that church has built as a tradition. tradition. Maybe good or not, but, but is it really based on the Bible? So one of the qualities that we want to know for anyone who ever does fill this pulpit whether it's you know for a single Sunday fill-in or for long-term pastors what do they believe about the Bible because see we believe that it is the Word of God inerrant infallible authoritative for life and godliness it, it's our sure foundation upon which we stand and as I said un unfortunately there's many individuals churches, denominations, they're drifting away from that and, and leaving themselves rudderless and wandering in a turbulent sea of popular opinion and, and cultural whims. Whatever's going on, that's how the church leans. And the fact that this is happening shouldn't be uh, a big surprise to us. The Bible tells us we can expect that to take place. I mean, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. A time will come when they, it says. Who, who's the they in that verse? Well, the day is the church. Maybe the leadership, maybe the congregation, in all likelihood, both. They're going to turn away because they would prefer to have their ears tickled, which is a poetic way of saying they want to hear something that's going to make them feel good rather than the truth. Now, the truth can make you feel good too, but the truth can also be hard, right? It's both. And as a result of that desire, they're, go they're going to do something proactive and, uh, uh, and practical about them, those desires. They're going to accumulate for themselves. They're going to gather in. They're going to target. They're going to reach teachers, pastors, preachers who will meet their cravings. So they'll be saying things like, whoa, I mean, we, we don't want to be hearing about sin and, and repentance and, and, and this whole idea that, man, you have to submit yourself to God and, and that he really does have authority in life and, and we should direct. We, oh, we don't want to hear about that. Uh, uh, let's find someone who tells us that all God cares about is love, right? And, and, we, and we get to define how that love uh, is, is shown and, and uh, defined and practiced. So they'll seek out pastors who will, it says, tell them fables, myths, stories like 
you know, God wants you to be rich, comfortable, healthy all the time. Or that you can come to Jesus and he'll fix all your problems so that you won't have any more hardships and trials. Or that gender and sexuality is something you can decide and God really doesn't care what you do with it as long as you don't hurt anyone. Myths like people are essentially good. Everyone is going to go to heaven as long as you believe something or you're sincere or, or at least as long as you try to be a good person. Perhaps you've heard some of these myths yourself. Maybe, maybe you've even accepted some of them because, you know, they sound so reasonable. They, they sound good. But the truth is they are not found in the Bible. It's not what Scripture teaches. And, and so one of the things that's important to us here at Chef Church, and, and that is a, a defining point of who we are and, and what we do as a church is that we believe the Bible. We, we stake our lives and, and our eternity on what it says. And one of the practical applications that flows out of that for when we do gather together like this as, as a body is that we want to do everything we do based upon Scripture. And that's why I started with those verses uh, in, in Acts uh, there, the, uh, it commends uh, those people at that Berean church, the founding of that church, because they searched the scriptures. They wanted to verify that what they were hearing and then therefore what their response, what they should do, was based on what God had said. And that's an example that we want to follow as a church here. But if you were here last week, you may, may remember that that the Bible doesn't give specific, detailed instructions concerning what exactly should take place during a worship service. And therefore, we have to make decisions on what we're going to do based on some examples we find in Scripture and by applying, in, in a group setting, some of the directive teaching. And one of the examples that comes early in the book of Acts uh, that is helpful for us, just as the church was being founded um, after Jesus had gone up into to heaven and the Holy Spirit had, had been sent and given to the believers, the apostles began preaching the good news uh, of salvation uh, to the people, and bunches and bunches of people were being saved. And, and then it's a, here's what it says that they did in Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, there's no direct command here or anywhere else in Scripture uh, in terms of this is what you have to do every time you gather together or, or in your church service. Uh, these verses are just descriptive uh, of what happened, not prescriptive for what must take place each time. But it sure seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Uh, and there are portions of Scripture that, that do give direct instruction for us to preach and teach. And, and where would be a better place to do that than when we gather together as a body like this 
uh, for worship. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So according to these verses, uh, there should be preaching and teaching for two main purposes. One is to equip the saints for the work of service. And whether you believe it or not, you are the saints. Every person who has put their faith in Christ immediately has their identity changed from what they used to be to a saint. Now you may be a saint who still struggles and, and, and stumbles and falls with uh, sin and needs help and support of, and encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ. Truth is, that's all of us. That's where we're at. That's why God, or one of the main reasons God established the church, we, we need each other. But see, being a saint is not based on what you do. In other words, it's not a result of your behavior, but rather it is who God declares you to be. It's your identity as a believer. Because you've been forgiven and your heart has been cleansed, you've been set apart, uh, sanctified, which is what the word sanctified means, made holy, you are a saint for God. And, and, and so uh, part of the job uh, uh, description for pastors and teachers is, is given in this verse is to equip you, equip the saints, so that you can be put to work in God's kingdom. You are the ones who do the work of the ministry, which is a backwards thinking for the American church, isn't it? The American church somehow got this idea that we hire somebody to do the ministry and, and we sit in the chairs and watch them. Um, and and that's, not, that's not the biblical uh, format. Uh, I'm here, uh, other teachers are here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And, and there are so many of you that are are doing a great job of that here, whether it's you know being involved in, in various uh, ministries within the church here, like Sunday school or trail life or nursery or uh, celebrate recover, or who, you know all these different things going on here, or, or outside of the church, you know, like casting vets or the food pantry or Wayati um, um, concern or other opportunities. So many of you are choosing to be involved which is why I'm confident that this church will remain strong and, and vibrant and healthy as, as we all move forward. The ministry is you and what you do. So maybe a good personal question that you can ask yourself this morning is, what am I doing? And, and if, you, if you can't think of anything, well then, come talk to an elder or one of the team leaders because there are so many different ways 
to be involved. And, and because God designed it that way for, for everybody to be participating and be involved, I can guarantee you that no matter what your skills or your abilities or your fears and, and trembling, you can find a perfect fit for you because God's designed all of us to be part of that functioning body together. He wants you to be able to connect through serving. Now, the second reason that preaching is needed, it says in the church, is so that we can grow in our faith toward maturity. Preaching is a ministry of building up. And by the way, both those things go on concurrently. Uh, a lot of people uh, use uh, that level of maturity as a reason for not being involved and say, oh, well, as soon as I know as much about the Bible as Patty, well, then then I'll get involved in the church. doesn't work that way, right? They're, they're both happening at, at the same time. But, uh, but we do need preach, uh, teaching and, and preaching uh, because it's a ministry of building up. It builds up knowledge, but you need to understand that you are not here just to learn more academic knowledge about the Bible. In fact, the Bible warns us that knowledge in and of itself can be detrimental. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we read, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Just, just knowing a whole bunch of Bible facts could cause a person to get a false or inflated assessment of their own spiritual stature. So knowledge must walk hand in hand with love. And remember that the biblical definition of love is not a feeling, but rather an action. So, so good biblical knowledge is that which results in motivating us to act. In other words, it's, it's something, uh, not just something that you hear and it kind of lands in your head and takes root in your brain, right? It's, it's something that is given to transform your life, the way you live. And that's why in, in most all of my messages, I try to give some, some type of practical application to what we're studying, how we can put it into practice in day-to-day in -day life, in, in, in regular living, or, or ask questions to at least make you think about how that can be applied or what can go on. So now, get, getting back to Acts 2.42, not only is preaching mentioned there as, a, as this good idea of, of things to be involved in, uh, an integral part of what we do when we gather together. But it also then mentions fellowship. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' uh, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Fellowship is doing life together. It's way more than shaking hands uh, during a Sunday morning service or having a cookie together before or after church or, or this type of uh, thing. It's being connected to one another in such a way that you feel like, that you know you have someone you can turn to in time of need. It's, it's having the kind of relationship with other people that motivates you to be open and honest so that you can continue to grow more in your faith. That, that's why we strongly encourage people Get involved in, in one of the small groups. I mean, that's a, a great place and a great way for those relationships to begin to be built. 
It's also why we do some of the different things we do here at the church, like, like the summer barbecues or the fantasy football or potlucks or game night on, on New Year's Eve or, or all kinds of other things. We're trying to provide opportunities, uh, avenues, means for you to start building those connections because sometimes it can be hard. But this type of fellowship, this, this, this also requires something on your part. I mean, you have to choose to take advantage of those opportunities. Fellowship requires your participation. I mean, if you're one who has maybe made this habit of uh, showing up right before church starts and then leave as soon as it's over, if you don't come to any of the events where in an informal and casual way you can at least begin to make some of those connections with others, would it be any wonder then if you sat down one day and said, man, I, I don't feel like I have any friends at that church. Fellowship is something the church can promote by creating opportunities but it's really dependent upon you as to whether or not that happens in your life. It's a choice you have to make. So, again, what question? What choices are you making to build fellowship? Do most of us want those kind of relationships? We crave that support and encouragement that we gain from having someone who's on our side, who knows us and loves us still? What are you, what are you doing to take advantage of connecting with other believers? Next, in, in, in the verse in Acts, it mentions breaking bread. And that's a phrase that could be used uh, to talk about sharing a meal together. Uh, hey, let's, let's you know, go out and eat together or come over to our house, this type of thing. But uh, very often in the uh, New Testament church, it was a phrase that they used to uh, reference communion. And, and if you keep reading in this passage in Acts, a few verses later, you'll see that it mentions both breaking bread and sharing meals together. So two separate things. So it's likely that in this passage, it's specifically talking about communion. And, and I got several questions about communion in, in the sermons by request. And, and there are a few verses that I, I quote every time we share communion together, not because the Bible tells you you're supposed to, but I, I like to share them because it reminds us of some of the key truths about what communion is and, and why we do that. And those verses say in part, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So one sermon by request question I got said, why don't we do communion every Sunday. And I happen to know the person who wrote this. They came from a church that that's what they did. They did communion every single week. You know, their simple answer uh, to that question is because the Bible never tells us how often to do it. There are some churches that only do it once a year. 
And that's because Jesus instituted communion using the Passover feast and elements of the Passover. And they said, well, the Passover only happens once a year, and therefore we should only do communion once a year. For those of you that were here last Sunday, pop quiz. What's the mistake they're making? They're taking a passage that is descriptive and making it prescriptive. Right? The Bible doesn't say how often you should take communion. And notice what it does say about it, specifically with the communion cup there. It says, as, how, how, how frequently? As often as you drink it. No, no specified number. Just as often as you do it. It doesn't matter if you do it. I'm not bashing a church that does it once a year. It doesn't matter if you do it once a year or once a month or once a week or every single day or even more often than once a day. I've had some people, when we're doing communion here, we went to two services and they're saying, whoa, what, what, what should I do? I, I took communion during the first service. Should I do it again in the second service? Absolutely, if you want to. Because what's the function? To remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what the importance is. That's what the function of communion is. And did you know that there's not a single piece of, of um, instruction, zero instructions given in the Bible about how to do communion? Who can do it? Well, who can uh, lead it? Who can serve the elements? No details at all. Which means God leaves that wide open to us. The function is for us to share communion together in order to have a special time of remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. The form that that takes is not dictated and therefore can be however, however you as a church want to do it. And I've taken communion in a number of different ways. If you have some friends, you're sitting around your house having pie and coffee, and you get to talking about how incredible it is that Jesus died for our sins and they can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? And you decide as a small group of friends, man, we, let's, let's have communion together here to, to just celebrate and to glorify and praise God for what he's done for us. You can do that. Scripturally, that's perfectly permissible. Now the last... Uh, Thing that's mentioned in this verse in Acts is prayer. And prayer is everybody's right and privilege and responsibility. I mean, all of us should be praying, and biblically, any true believer could be part of leading prayer in a, in a public uh, service or gathering like this in church. And in the past, we've had many different members of the congregation who have led in prayer for different things. For the past couple of years, we've been having the elders uh, uh, lead in a special prayer during the service. And one of the reasons we decided to do that is because praying for the church 
is actually part of an elder's job description. doesn't mean they have to pray during the service. Again, the form is not given, just that function. The elders are supposed to be uh, praying for you. And uh, the Apostle Peter, who, who described himself, called himself an elder, uh, put it this way, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, we being his fellow elders. So it's part of what elders are supposed to do. But it doesn't tell us how. It could be Sunday mornings. could be all week long. Uh, your elders are praying for you through the week. I, I want you to know that. There's no right or wrong way to do prayer. We could stop and take prayer requests during this and have different people pray for them. Uh, for us, we've chosen, if you have prayer requests, tell one of the elders or, or write it on the card where it gives you an opportunity and put it in the prayer box in, in the pass-through because there's a group that meets every Tuesday night just to be praying for the church. And anybody and everybody can be a part of that group. And, and, and you can come once a month, every Tuesday, however often you want, and, and just be part of that a group that's praying. Um, all of us get to pray. One of the questions I received concerning prayer was, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer here? Perhaps you've uh, uh, come from a church where that was something that was traditionally repeated every Sunday or, or maybe every time they gather for any kind of service. And, and the Lord's Prayer is, is a, a beautiful prayer found in, in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, chapter 6 uh, of Matthew. But notice what Jesus said when he first gave that prayer. He said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? That's, that's how he began. When he said pray in, in this way. In this way means like this or in this manner. In other words, he wasn't uh, trying to give us a, a prayer to memorize and then simply repeat. He was giving us a pattern for prayer to guide us in the way that we can and should be able to approach God. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with memorizing this prayer. Uh, it's a great thing. I, I would encourage you to do that. Nothing wrong with repeating it in a group or in a church. But it becomes meaningless, a, a meaningless ritual if it is done by rote without any even thinking about it. I had a, a, a friend of mine who was part of a liturgical church where they just did that every Sunday, and they said they'd, oftentimes they knew the prayer so well and did it all the time that they would be saying that prayer and thinking about lunch. God, uh, God's not interested in that. In fact, that's something that Jesus actually condemns. Just before giving us this pattern for prayer, Jesus gave this warning. He said, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, they were thinking that, you know, as long as I repeated the, this prayer and said it lots of times, well, that's going to make God happy and he'll, he'll do whatever's said in the prayer. And God is really not interested in mindless repetition. He wants us to truly connect with Him through prayer. So saying the Lord's Prayer, that's fine as 
as, as long as you make sure that you think about what it means and, and what you're actually requesting of God with, with each uh, line in there. But using the Lord's Prayer as a pattern to teach you how to pray from your heart, well, that's, that's even better because God wants that personal relationship with you. So you'll find that occasionally we will lead in the Lord's Prayer. It's a good thing to do together. But mostly we want people to learn that prayer is talking to God. It's sharing your heart, your feelings, your life with God, even though He already knows it all. You're sharing it because you connect with Him that way and He wants that relationship. So from one passage here in, in Scripture, one Example: We can find four different elements that seem to be a, a, a very good part, an essential part of doing church together, preaching, fellowship, communion, and, and prayer. The forms that those things take are not important. If they were important, God would have said, do it this way. There's a lot of other things where he said, do it this way, because it was important. But these forms for how we do these things apparently or not. Instead, he leaves it up to us. And that means that we are free to change things or try something new. Those are scary words for some people, but it's true. We can try something new. We can change things. That's okay. It also means it's okay to develop traditions and to follow them. That's fine, too. What we're not free to do is whine and complain because things are different than what we want. And that's one of the things I so appreciate about this body of believers. We've really chosen that we're not going to fight and divide over forms or personal preferences. Instead, we want to focus on praising God, growing in our faith, and reaching more people for the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, again, we're just uh, so grateful for your word, which does lead and guide us. God, we're, we're thankful for the freedom that you have given us in these things. And we pray that, that we would be people committed to that function that you have shown us of of. of preaching and growing in our faith, of serving and, and being connected with one another and building relationships. Those things, God, that you know are healthy and good for us. Father, we just pray for the future of this body believers that we would be committed to your word always and only, that we might grow by it. We pray this in Jesus' name.